0: that you would help me to be able to uh, teach the, the lesson that we've uh, prepared for tonight, Lord, and that as we study this chapter, Lord, that again, it would uh, not just be something that we learn for the sake of learning, but that it, we would also apply it to our lives. We love you, Lord, in your precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Isaiah chapter 5, and we've been going through the book of Isaiah. On Sunday nights, and uh, we're going to be in Isaiah for a while, but uh, we're trying to learn the book of Isaiah. And, you know, sometimes Isaiah is a difficult book. You know, and, and some of these chapters are long, some are short. We'll do the best we can to try to cover the material, but we're moving on one chapter at a time, just because there's so many, uh, so many chapters. We don't want to break one chapter into the you know one or two weeks, but. Um, If you look at verse 1, the the chapter begins with a a, uh, this is kind of a real famous part of the book of famous or well known passage and it's a song that uh, Isaiah wrote down about the children of Israel and and I I want you to know tonight, uh, we're going to break this chapter down into four points if if you're taking notes, I want to give you these points so you can kind of go back and reference it and maybe see as you study out the book of Isaiah yourself and I want you to understand that Isaiah in this chapter is again just kind of doing the same thing he's been doing the whole time, and you know, we need the repetition, but he's describing the children of Israel and describing the problems that they had, and describing the reason that God is going to bring judgment upon them, and he begins by explaining, number one, for those of you that are taking notes, he says, the the, the children of Israel, or God's people, they had a wrong purpose, they they had a wrong purpose, Uh, they did not understand what the purpose of them being on earth and their relationship with God was, and and you gotta understand, it's pictured through this vineyard. Look look at verse 1 with me. It says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. So he's he's singing this song about his beloved, who's the Lord. And he says, My beloved has a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. Verse 2, And he fenced it. And gathered out the stones thereof. So he's working in this vineyard. He puts a fence around the vineyard for protection. He goes through the vineyard and removes all the stones. And planted it with the choicest vine. Notice he didn't go out and buy the cheapest seed or the cheapest vine. He went on and got the choicest, The best he could find. And he planted it with the choicest vine. And built a tower in the midst of it. And also made a wine press there. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. No, he planted a vineyard. And here's the purpose of the vineyard. That it should bring forth. Grapes. Here's why he built the tower. Here's why he built the fence. Here's why he removed the stones. Here's why he, he, he bought the choicest vine. He he did it all for one reason that it would bring forth wait, grapes. But notice what it brought. It says, and it last part of verse 2, and it brought forth wild grapes. Now the wild grapes were like bitter grapes, or grapes that were not, they're, they're not really the choicest vine. They were grapes that could not be used. Verse 3. And now. O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. He says, I want you to judge between me and my vineyard. Verse 4, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? He said, what more could I have done to get this vineyard to produce the fruit that I wanted? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grape, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. So he said, look, I put all this, he said, I put all this investment into this vineyard. I put all this time and this effort and this money into this in vineyard. I wanted it to do one thing, bring forth grape. And it brought forth wild grapes so that I could not get it to do what I wanted it to do. So then he says, you know, judge between me. What more could I have done? I've done the best that I can. I've given them everything I can do. Verse 5, he says, and now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge that He said, I'm going to remove that fence and it shall be eaten up. He said, I'm going to remove the fence and then the animals are going to come and they're going to eat up the vineyard because there's not going to be a protection. He said, I'm going to remove my protection. He said, And it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof. He said, I'm going to take the walls and I'm going to break them down and it shall be trotting down. So people can step on the vineyard and trod on that vineyard and destroy the vineyard. Verse 6, and I will lay it waste. He said, I'm going to destroy it. He said, I'm going to throw it away. He said, I'm going to lay it waste. It shall not be pruned. He said, I'm not going to prune it nor dig, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the cloud that they rain no rain upon it for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts. Now notice, in verse 7 we kind of find the commentary to this parable. He says, for the vineyard of the And the men of Judah is by the plan. And he looked for judgment. Here's what he was looking for. For judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a crime. And the story of the vineyard, I, I, just, I want to give you an application here in a second, but just so you understand the, the principal application. The vineyard, as we read just a second ago, represents the children of Israel. And we've been talking a lot about this lately, and it's just Isaiah seems to bring this up a, a lot. But you've got to understand that this... This story represents why the nation of Israel was rejected by God. Keep your finger there in Isaiah chapter 5. Go to Matthew 23. Let me give you a cross reference so you can uh, notice when uh, Jesus kind of teaches a similar thing. Matthew, I'm sorry, I said Matthew 23. Matthew 21. Matthew 21. And look at verse number 33. Here we have Jesus telling a parable or a story like the song that we saw Isaiah teach in Isaiah 5. Matthew 21. Look at verse 33. Matthew 21, verse 33. Matthew 21, verse 33, the Bible says this. Here, another parable. This is Jesus speaking. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard. Do you see that? He said, there was a certain householder that planted a vineyard, and hedged it round about, and digged a wine press in it, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like the same similar story, right? So he said, there was a husbandman, he put all this work and effort into this vineyard, he let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. Verse 34, and when the time of the fruit drew near, so it's time for him to get his fruit... He sent His servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. So He wants to get His fruit, right? Verse 35. And the husbandmen took His servant and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, He sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, He sent unto them His son, saying, They will reverence My son. Now look at verse 38. But when the husbandmen saw the son... They said among themselves, This is the heir. Now what's the what what was what was he going to heir? What was he looking for? He's looking for the fruit, right? He was looking for the vineyard. They said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto these husbandmen? Now, Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees. Verse 41 says. So he asked him a question. He said, well, look, I told you the story. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do to these husbandmen? Verse 41, they say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men. And notice this, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruit of their seed. He said, he's going to destroy those wicked men, and he's going to bring other husbandmen that are then going to render him the thing he's been looking for the whole time, which is the fruit. He said, I, I want the fruit. He said, I'll, I'll give you the vineyard. He said, I'll give you the land. He said, I'll, I'll protect you. He said, I'll invest in you. He said, I'll do anything again. But here's what I want and here's what I need It's fruit. And they would not give them the fruit. They wanted to keep it for themselves. In Isaiah 5, they were bringing him the wrong fruit. Wild grapes. Verse 42. Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the scripture the stone which the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing and marvel is in His eyes. Verse 43. Therefore. Now the therefore is. Here's what we can take away from this parable. Here's what we can take away from this. List. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you. Talking about the nation of Israel. And given unto a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. He says, I gave you a vineyard, Israel, and you refused to give me the fruit that I was looking for. You refused to give me the fruit that I was wanting. He said, therefore, I'm going to take it from you and I'm going to give it to another nation. Now notice, what is the purpose of it being given to another nation? Look at verse 43. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you. Why? Because they would not give him the fruit and given to a nation bringing forth what? The fruits thereof. Why were they rejected and why were the Gentiles chosen? Why were they rejected? And why was a new nation, which was not a nation, brought in and drawn nigh to God? Why did He do that? Here's why He did that. you got to understand this. Not because we're special. He wants from us what He could not get from them. It's always been about the fruit. You say, I don't, I don't understand. Go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 15. Let me just give you a few things to think about. You need to understand this. It's always been about the gospel. It's always been about reproducing. See, the nation of Israel, the whole reason that God gave him the oracles of God, the whole reason that God gave him the promises and the covenants and, and gave them all those things that he did, the whole reason that he did that is because they were supposed to be a light to the world. They were supposed to be, you know, what a church does today. The entire nation was supposed to be preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and bringing. They were a chosen people because they were supposed to bring fruits, they were supposed to send out the missionaries and send out the Jonah's and send out the people to preach the gospel. And God had told them, He said, I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to protect it, I'm going to invest in you, I'm going to give you everything I can give you, I'm going to give you the choices by, it. here's why, because I want fruit. And they kept giving him fruit that he could not use, wild fruit, wild fruit, wild fruit. So He said, okay, I'm going, to give it, I'm going to take it from you and I'm going to give it to another people. But here's what He wants from that other people, fruit. Now here's what's interesting, okay, are you there in Ezekiel 15? Look at verse 1. I think Ezekiel 15 and verse, verses 1 through 5 are, are is a very interesting passage. Because throughout the entire Bible, God's people are often referred to as the vine or the vineyard. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel were always the vineyard. The vineyard is always the the children of Israel. And even in the New Testament, you don't have to turn here, but do you remember John 15? Actually, we will turn there in a second. But remember in John 15, where Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. God's people have always been equated to a vine or a vineyard. Now, here's what's interesting. Not an oak tree, not another type of tree, not a palm tree. We're always a vine. We're always a vineyard. And here's what's interesting about that. Look at, are you there in Ezekiel 15? Look at verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying... And I want to read this slowly because I want you to, I want you to grasp what, what Ezekiel is teaching. Verse 2. Son of man, what is a vine tree more than any other tree or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest? Now the vine always represents God's people. And here's a question. He says, what is the vine tree more than any tree? He said, what is special about a vine that is more special than any other tree or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest verse 3 he, he asks this question shall wood be taken thereof to do any work He said, look, if an oak tree, or not an oak tree, let's say you take an apple tree, or an orange tree, or a tree that doesn't produce fruit. If it doesn't produce fruit, you can still use it for other things. Is what he's saying. Do you understand what he's saying? You got an apple tree that, for whatever reason, doesn't produce apples, and you can't get it to produce apples, and you hedge about it, and you try to you know, give it the nutrients, and you try to help it, and it won't produce fruit. Hey, at the very least, you can cut the thing down and use the wood to build a house, or build a shed, or build a fence. Do you understand that? That's what he's saying. Look at verse 3. Wood, but he's talking about the vine. He says, Shall wood be taken thereof to do any work? Or will men take a pin of it to hang any vessel there? Can you take a part of a vine? Do you understand what he's talking about? He's talking about a vine that produces grapes. He said, Can you take that vine of a, of a, of a, of a, grape, a grape vine? Can you take that and use it to build a house? Can you even use it to build a shelf? I mean, notice what he said. Will men take a pin of it to hang any vessels there on? He said, can you take a a part of it and kind of form it into a nail and use it to hang up something on the wall? Verse 4. Behold, it is cast into the fire for fuel. The fire devours both the ends of it, and the midst of it is burned. Notice notice this last uh, question in verse 4. Is it meat for any work? The word meat means suitable. Here's what he's saying. Is the vineyard or the vine, is it suitable for any work? Can we use it for any work? Verse 5. Here's the answer. Behold, when it was whole, when it was healthy, when it was at its strength, it was meat for no work. You see what he's saying? How much less shall it be meat, for you, for, meat yet for any work when the fire hath devoured it and it is burned? Go to John 15. You say, Pastor you lost me. What are you talking about? Here's, here's the point. A tree that does not produce fruit, at the very least, you can cut the thing down and use it as wood for the fire or wood for a fence. Or wood for a house, but a vine, which is God's people, is good for nothing. If it won't produce fruit, you can't cut it down. It won't even stand up on its own. Brother Brother Clint Anderson had us over for uh, dinner recently, and he has he's got some uh, grapevines in his in his uh, backyard. And those grapevines, do they stand up on their own, brother? You've got you to gotta plant them on a fence, right? you got to kind of build something to hold them up. Great vines won't even stand up on their own. They're not like a tree. Here's the point. Here's the point that God's trying to, trying to make. He says, when it comes to a vine, it's good for one thing, producing fruit. And if it will not produce fruit, it's good for nothing. Do you understand what he's saying? He said, if I, if, I, if I take the time to plant a vineyard and I put. wood fence, and I, and I get the choices of uh, uh, vines. And he said, if, if, if I put all the money and effort into it, and I can't get it to produce fruit. He said, I can't use it for anything else. So I might as well just destroy it. I might as well just lay it waste. And here's the point. Are you there in John 15? Look at verse 7. If you, did I tell you to go there? I think I did. John 15, look at verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Verse 8, John 15, 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. So you understand this. God was saying about the children of Israel in the Old Testament, but it applies to God's people in the New Testament. The point is this if you and I refuse to produce fruit, God says, I have no need for you. I can't even cut you down and turn you into a fence. He said, You can't even hold yourself up. He, and it's interesting that he uses that vine. That vine always represents the people of God. But he, says, he says, here's what's interesting about a vine. It's, it's not like any other tree, because another tree that won't produce fruit, I can at least get some use out of it. But you, if you will not produce fruit, he said, then you're good for nothing. He said, in another passage, he's talking about a tree that wouldn't produce fruit. He said, why cumber it the ground? And see, here's what you're going to understand. The children of Israel, you can go back to Isaiah chapter 5. The children of Israel in the day of Isaiah... God's people in the day of Isaiah and God's people today both have the same problem. They don't really understand their purpose on earth. Do you understand that your purpose, the reason that God, you say, I am God's people. I have the promises of God. I have the blessing of God on my life. Do you understand that the only reason that God has a hedge right about you is because He wants fruits. And if you can't get fruit, He says, I don't really have any use for you. I mean, you're weak. You can't even stand up on your own. I can't sound like I can cut you down and turn you into a shell. She says, I might as well just lay you waste. God's people have this problem. They have the wrong purpose. See, you think you're on this earth to make money. You think you're on this earth to be successful. You think you're on this earth. I don't know why you think you're on this earth, but let me tell you something. You're on this earth for one reason. The reason that God did not kill you the moment you got saved and took you to heaven is He left you on this earth to do one thing, produce fruit. And God says, if you won't do that, I have no other use for you. God says, you're you're a vine. I can't can't use for you or anything else. The only good thing you can do is produce fruit. So he says, if if you're not going to produce fruit, I'm just going to get rid of the whole thing. He said, I'm not going to protect you. I'm not going to bless you. I'm not going to put the time and effort into you if I can't get what I want. So number one, they had the wrong purpose. Number two, I'd like you to see, they had the wrong pursuit. They had the wrong pursuit. Now, we, we finished that little song of Isaiah, and I want you to notice that for the rest of the chapter, it's basically divided into six woes. If you look at the passage, if you just scan through it, you'll see the word "woe" divided among there. That word "woe" is a very powerful word. It's saying like, "Hey, you know, this is dangerous," or "Hey, here's a problem. You, whoa! You, 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 you want to? You need to. This is not good. You, you want to be very careful with this." And there are six woes, and I believe the woes you, you'll see they're kind of divided into two groups. The the, the, the first three group, uh, woes kind of describe one thing and the second three woes divide another thing. And I'd like you to notice the song of the vineyard taught us that God's people had the wrong purpose. They didn't understand the only thing I'm good for on this earth is to produce fruit. And if I'm not producing fruit, God really doesn't have any use for me. But number two, they had the wrong pursuit. They had the wrong pursuit. Notice verse 8. Here we find our first woe. He says, Woe! Unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine ears, said the Lord of hosts, of a truth many houses shall be desolate, even, make note of these words, great and fair without inhabitants. Now let let me tell you something about the book of Isaiah, okay? And I don't know how to say this without, I, I'm going to trust that you are a mature enough spirit to understand what I'm about to say. <laughs> but some of these passages are have, To be honest with you, you, you talk to three different preachers and ask them about the same passages, you'll get three different explanations. A lot of these passages, I don't know that anybody really knows what they're talking about. But we can cross-reference them with other scriptures and try to figure out what is it that God is trying to explain. And I believe that in this chapter, in this passage, in this first woe, God is trying to explain that these people were pursuing possessions. They were trying to acquire things. Notice what he said, look at verse 8. Woe unto them that join house to house. And not enough for them to have one house, they want two houses that lay field to field. Not enough to have one field, they want two fields. Oh look, there's nothing wrong with having houses, there's nothing wrong with having fields. Get as many houses as you can, get as rich as you can, you know, if God blesses you. Don't, don't have a desire to be rich, but if God blesses you with, with, with wealth, hey, tithe, praise the Lord, you know, that's good, alright? There's nothing wrong with being rich, there's something wrong with wanting to be rich. There's something wrong with loving money, but there's nothing wrong with God blessing you, but these people, God is telling us, their goal was to join house to house. To lay field to field. And here was their goal. till there be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of here. Here's what they're saying. They're saying, I want to get so rich. I want to buy every house on my block. So I can be the only one that lives on my block. I want to to buy all the fields. I'm the only one that has fields. Now you say, well, how do you know that's talking about covetousness? Because look at verse 9. In my ear said the Lord of hosts, of a truth. He says, look, go ahead and get all the houses you want. Go ahead and get all the possessions you want. Of a truth... Many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair without inhabitants. Here's what he's saying. Go get all the possessions and all the toys that you can get. But he says, when I'm done with you, it's going to be all left here. He said, said, yeah, go go get. Go build the biggest house. Get the nicest house. Get everything you want. He said, by the time I'm done with it, it's going to be desolate without inhabitants. He's saying, look, you are pursuing possessions, you are trying to acquire things. Let me give you a cross-reference. Go to Jeremiah 22. Jeremiah's a different prophet, obviously a little bit of a different time. But look at Jeremiah 22, look at verse 13. Remember he said, "Woe, right? Whoa. And you gotta woe, covetousness. We live in a society today where people just want, th- I want things. I want things. I want one more. And you know, they get one thing and then they want something else. And they want something else. And there's nothing wrong with having nice things. But if that's your whole life, that's what brings you joy. That's what your, your entire pursuit of a newer car, a newer house, a better this, a better that. Hey, whoa. Because God, you're not going to take it with you. And when God takes it all away, He said, you go and build a nice house. It's going to lay there in bankruptcy by the time I'm done chastising you. Jeremiah 22, look at verse 13, look what he says. Jeremiah 22, verse 13. Woe unto him that buildeth his house. By unrighteousness. And his chambers by wrong. That uses his neighbor's service without wages. And giveth him not for his work. That saith, I will build me a wide house and a large chamber. And cut them out windows. And it is sealed with cedars and painted with vermilion. Here's the point that he's trying to make. He says you want to be very careful not to be pursuing things. Because here's the thing. You can have Possessions. But why acquire things and not have blessings? What's the point of that? Go back to Isaiah 5. Look what he says. He says, says, these people, they want to put house with house. They want field with field. They want property. They want land. They want big houses. They want all this stuff. He says, but look, I'm going to end up leaving you desolate. Look at verse 10. He says, you're not going to have my blessing. Look what he says. He says, yea, ten acres of vineyards shall yield one bath. And the seed of an Homer shall yield an Ephah. Now, I don't know that anybody really knows what a bath and a Homer and an Ephah is today. It's really difficult. I was studying it out, and I, you know, I don't. I, I spent some time studying it out, and I'm not even really sure that I still understand it to this point. It kind of seems to me, and this is just my own opinion, and some of you, you know, you can go uh, you know, print out an article on Google and try to correct me. That's fine. But, you know, just reading it from the Bible, it kind of seems to me like a bath. Like ten, 10 baths equal a homer, and 10 homers equal an ephah, is what it kind of seems like to me, but I'm not 100% on that. And it seems like an ephah, as you, as you read it in the Bible, you know, you read about David. Remember when David was going to uh, take his brother's uh, food? He brought them uh, an ephah of flour. You know, and it says about different people in the Bible that they carried. uh, I I think it says about Hannah that she took with her to go see her son and ephah a flour. So you know, I I don't know what a bag of flour is like five pounds, probably, right? You buy a bag of flour, uh, five pounds. So maybe maybe it's something close to that. So these are here's the point: they're small amounts because you got you know if if five pounds is is that if five pounds a bag of flour does anybody know anybody do it by any grocery shopping? Because I do not. Is it five? A bag of flour. Do they sell flours in bag? I don't know. I, my wife is the one that. Am I wrong about that? Does anybody know? Huh? Is it 10 pounds? Nobody knows? No bakers? You know oh, you can get them all. Okay, so what's the average? Like the average family buys a bag of. No. 10 pounds? Okay, let's say. Oh, that's, that, that works. Let's say a bag of uh, EFA is like 10 pounds. Okay? So then, like, the Homer would be like one pound of flour and then uh, bath would be like 10% of that. So we're talking about small amounts, and that's what it kind of seems like to me in the Bible, but I'm not 100% sure. Here's the point that he's making. Look at verse 10. 10 acres of vineyards, okay? You're talking about 10 acres, that's a lot of land, are going to yield one bath, okay? Like 10% of one pound. And the seed of an homer shall yield an ephah. So here's what he's saying. He's saying you can have all this property, he said, but I'm going to make it so that you're not going to produce anything. you see what he's saying? He said, I'm going to say, you're going you, to you have 10 acres and there's not going to be enough there to feed one family. He's saying, because you're pursuing the wrong thing. And here's what you got to understand, okay? Possessions do not bring happiness. You can, you can set out to just be the richest, live in the nicest house, with the biggest land, with all the toys and everything. You, know, you can do that. And still not be happy. You know, I am always I'm always amazed these rock stars and these movie stars that just have all the money, all the wealth, everything, and, and what do they do? Kill it kill themselves. Because possessions don't bring happiness. And you can look, you can be the most famous actor on earth, but if you don't have the blessing of God on your life and you don't have the joy of the Lord, what's the point? And these people, they had the wrong pursuit. They were pursuing possessions, but look at, go go back to Isaiah 5 look at verse 11 Isaiah 5 verse 11, and again I'm not too sure about the baths, and the homer and the ephah, and I doubt that anybody is because, you know, you weren't there, but look at verse, look at verse 11, Isaiah 5 11. notice what they're pursuing, the first thing they were pursuing was possessions the second thing they're pursuing is pleasure, notice what he says, Isaiah 5, look at verse 11, he says, whoa okay, here's your second, whoa Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink. You know what you are when you wake up and first in the morning is you drink alcohol? You are a drunk. Okay? You need help. That's not normal. Putting alcohol in your Cheerios is not normal. He says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink. But here's the thing. They get up early in the morning they start drinking. But notice, that continue until night. They're drinking all day long into the night till wine inflamed them, verse 12, and the harp, and the vial, and the tabret, and pipe, and wine, so you got alcohol, you've got music, are in their feast, do you see that? It's talking about they're having a party, they're having food, alcohol, music, But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hand. He's saying, you are pursuing a good time. You are pursuing a party. You get up, you start drinking, you're drinking till the night, you're drinking all night long, you're playing your music, you're having your feast, you're having your party, you're having your pleasure, you're pursuing possessions, you're pursuing pleasure. He says, you're pursuing the wrong thing. He said, it's not going to help you. Look at verse 13. We're going to come back to some of these verses. But look what it says. Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure and their glory and their multitude and their pomp. And he that rejoices shall descend into it. And the mean man shall be brought down and the mighty man shall be humbled and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord the host shall be exalted in judgment and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Then shall the lambs feed after their manner and the waste places of the fat one shall uh, strain We're going to come back to some of those verses, but I want you to look at verse 18. Woe. Here's your third woe. Woe unto them. Notice what it says. That draw iniquity with cords. Okay? Iniquity is another word for sin. And it says they're drawing iniquity with cords. It's like they're taking a rope and they're lassoing it around iniquity and they're bringing it to themselves. They draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as it were, with a cart rope. So they're taking a rope that they would put to a horse, and as they're riding in a cart, and allow it to lead it, and he said, it's it's like you're putting that cart, uh, that rope on sin and allowing sin to just drag you by here's the point that he's saying these people, you know, some people and hopefully this is the case for you some people are trying to do right they're trying to live for God they get up in the morning they say, I'm going to live for the Lord today I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray and then as you go out into the world you know, it's like we talked about this morning uh, Your John Ab comes along and he, and he tempts you and then you, you sin, and then he accuses you, right? but hopefully, that's, that's just a mess up, right? Hopefully that, you know, you sin and you got to take responsibility for it. And, and, and God's going to, you know, you got you, you to gotta be punished. You know, you're going to reap what you sow. We understand that. But hopefully that was just kind of like Satan tempt me, man, he got me this time. He's not going to get me next time. But he said, these people, they get up and they're looking for trouble. You understand what he's saying? He said they're looking to go lasso them some sin. They're looking to go draw iniquity with cords and sin as it were a cartwheel. Some people live their lives, look, I want to go sin. I want to chase after the things of this world that are wrong. And here's what God is trying to explain to us about these people. He says, not only did they have the wrong purpose, not only did they not realize that if they're not going to produce fruit, I have no use for them. He said they were also pursuing the wrong thing. They were pursuing pleasure. They were pursuing property. Look at verse 20. In verse 20, we find woe number four. And for those of you taking notes, we said, number one, the people had the wrong purpose, and number two, the people had the wrong pursuit. But number three, they had the wrong perspective. They had the wrong perspective. Look at verse 20. He says, Woe! That's woe number four. Unto them that... Notice what they're doing. Tell me if this does not describe America in 2014. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, and put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. He's saying, you live in a society where people think right is wrong, and wrong is right. And let me tell you something, that describes America today. We live in a society where people will look at right, and say, no, that's wrong. And they'll look at wrong, and they'll say, no, that's right. Look, we live in a society where a man... A pastor can stand up and say, you know what? Men ought to love their wives and lead their wives and be the spiritual leader that God has called them to be and women ought to reverence their husbands and submit to them and children ought to obey and you ought to put God first in your life and people will listen to that kind of preaching and they'll say, that pastor is a male chauvinist. That guy, he's a hate monger saying that women ought to submit it. That guy, he's a bigot. And the same people will say, but two men lying in a bed and having a physical relationship. No, that's normal. A man and a woman getting married and not getting divorced and and loving each other and putting out first. That's weird. But two men, you know, getting married, that's normal. Where am I going? You understand what I'm saying? It's a society we live in. We live in a day... Where if you lovingly discipline your children and spank them like the Bible says, you're a monster. But yet, if you were to take the same child when it was in the womb, snap its net and uh, dismember its body and bring it out of the womb limb by limb. Hey, that's a woman exercising her choice, but you're going to spank a child? You're a monster. I mean, that's the world we live in. Do you understand that? You're going to take a child, put them on your lap, and lovingly, you know, not hurting them, but making sure they, they get the point, you know, spank that child, and that's how you got to spank. Your parents that are spanking through the diapers, yeah, I don't know if you've noticed, but that's, that's padding. okay? You got to spank that child, make it hurt. Don't, you, you know, don't injure, but it's got to hurt, otherwise there's no point. And, and I'll say that, and people say, you're, you're a child abuser. But they'll say, hey, let's put a tool into a woman, and let's take a child that is in the womb, and let's snap its neck, and let's take a hook into its body and drag it out limb by limb. That's normal. That's her choice. She's exercising her right. See, we live in a society where right is wrong. Wrong is right. We live in a society where being a drunk and a drug addict is cool, but going to church three times a week, you're in a cult. You understand what I'm saying? we live in a society where you you, you can be living for the world, just not raising your children, not doing right. And everybody's like, oh, yes, so so cool, high five. And then you're like, hey, I got saved. Hey, I'm going to go out and preach the gospel. Hey, I'm going to go to church tonight on Sunday night. I'm going to church on Wednesday night. And you're like, man, hey, that's weird, dude. Be careful. I'm just telling you, we live in a society where people look at right and they say it's wrong, and people look at wrong and they say it's right. And it's because they have the wrong perspective. Now, why do they have that perspective? Look at verse 21. We find our fifth woe. Woe unto them, here's a the problem. Here's a problem, and here's the always a problem. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Here's a cross reference. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, look at verse 7. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 7, the Bible says Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 7 be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. If we would just get that right in our lives, so many problems would be solved. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. Remember the if you've never read the book of Judges, you gotta read the book of Judges. A lot of messed up things happen in the Book of Judges. A lot of weird things happen in the book of Judges. A lot of just things that you you know, they're just odd. It happened in the book of Judges. And it all comes down to this phrase found a couple times in the book of Judges where it says, Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. See, they have the wrong perspective. They looked at the world and didn't see it the way God saw it. They didn't see it the way the Bible sees it. They saw it and they saw holy and they called it unholy. They saw unholy and they called it holy because they were wise in their own eyes. Now, here's what happens. When people get the wrong perspective on things and they begin to make decisions based on what they think is right, here's the problem with you making decisions on what you think is right. You change. You make good decisions when you're right with God. You make really bad decisions when you're not right with God. But you know who never changes? God. You know who's constant yesterday, today, forever? God. The word of God doesn't change. He said they were wise in their own eyes. Now, here's what happens. When you get people that are wise in their own eyes, and they're making all sorts of weird things, here's what they always do. And it kind of goes with this morning's sermon. Look at verse 22. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine. Here we got alcohol again. And men of strength to mingle strong drink. Look at verse 23, which justify the wicked, that's your misperception, right? You're justifying the wicked, but here's what they do. They justify the wicked for reward, I want you to notice this phrase, and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Let me talk to you kids again, I talked to you this morning, but let me talk to you again. You have something. You've got righteousness in you. You've got a clean life. You you know, your life's not perfect, but the fact that you're in church gives a testament to a lot of things. And there are people... That when they see you, you go out into the workforce if you start working, even as a teenager you get little jobs and stuff. There's going to be other teenagers that don't have what you have. Maybe they they just were born into the wrong family and and they they were, you know, they just got the wrong lot in life and and we understand that God is good all the time but they just didn't have all the opportunities that you have. And they're going to see you and what you have and your righteousness and they're going to want to take that from you. Say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Go to Habakkuk, chapter 2. Habakkuk towards the end of the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter 2. Look at verse 15. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 15. Notice, notice what it says. And I, I want you to see this. If you can't find it, just listen. Habakkuk chapter 2, look at verse 15. He says, whoa. Remember, that's what we're talking about, right? Whoa. Hey, here's, the problem. here's a problem. Here's a red flag. Here's a warning. Whoa unto him that giveth his neighbor to drink. You know that drunks? Always want to get somebody else to drink. You know, and that's what I'm telling you, you kids, you're going to get in situations, someone's going to try to give you something to drink, someone's going to try to give you something to smoke, someone's going to try to give you something to look at, because when people don't have righteousness, and you've got righteousness, they want to take that righteousness from you. They want to defile you. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him, and maketh him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. I don't understand, and I'm not preaching on the subject tonight, but I don't understand how you can read these passages and think it's okay to have social drinking. I mean, to think that God is okay with any type of drinking, just reading Isaiah, Habakkuk, just reading these passages to, to think, oh, God's okay with drinking. Well, here I know how people get to that, you know, Christian, I'm talking about Christians, how they get to this place where they think it's okay to drink, here's how they do it, because they don't read these passages. Because they're not reading the Bible. They're not reading the book of Isaiah. These people had the wrong perspective. They saw things in a way that God didn't see it. Because they were making decisions based on their own eyes. They were wise in their own eyes. And then not only were they making bad decisions, but they were trying to drag people to those same bad decisions. They said, You have righteousness, and I want to defile you. Amnon, I want to defile you. I want you to be unrighteous like I am. Do you understand? So we see of the people that they had number one, the wrong purpose. They had number two, the wrong pursuit. They had number three, the wrong perspective. Let me give you one more point, and we'll be done tonight. They had number four, the wrong priorities. They had number four, the wrong priorities. Go back to Isaiah chapter five, look at verse thirteen. We skipped some. We read through these quickly, and let me just highlight a few things, and we'll be done. They have the wrong priorities. The first thing is, we see people, and you've got to understand, these are God's people. These are not heathens. We haven't got to that part of Isaiah yet. These are God's people. He put a hedge about them. He built a tower. He removed the stones. He blessed them. He gave them covenants. He gave them blessing. But we have God's people who are not interested in God's work. Notice verse 13. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity. Why why do God's people go into bondage? Here's why. Because they have no knowledge. Why do they get in bondage of drinking alcohol? Because they don't know that Isaiah said, hey, this is wicked. Why do they get in bondage? Because they they never read Habakkuk where he says, hey, don't get around people that want to give you alcohol. He says, therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their unroman are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Skip down to verse 24. Look at verse 24. Here's the problem. The problem is you have God's people, not the heathen, not the unsaved, God's people that are not interested in learning God's word. Verse 24. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble, and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their roots shall be as rottenness, and their blossoms shall go up as dust, because they have cast... Here's, here's why. Because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts, and despise the word of the Holy One of Israel. You have God's people. They're not interested in God's word. Now here's what happens. When God's people no longer are interested in knowing and learning the law of the Lord, the word of the Holy One of Israel, when God's people are not interested in God's word, here's the next step. God's people become not interested in God's work. Look at verse 12. Remember in verse 12 we're talking about their big party? They're getting drunk. Verse 12, And the heart and the vile... The tablet and pipe, the wine are in their feast. Their pleasure, they are partying. They're having a good time. So notice what happens when you get too interested in fulfilling your own pleasure, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hand. Pastor, I just don't. I just don't have time. I'd like to serve at church. I'd like to help. I, this whole thing sounds interesting, but you got to understand. I mean, I'm just what busy partying, fulfilling your own pleasures. See, when God's people are not interested in God's Word, then God's people are no longer interested in God's work. And the result is verse 14. Therefore, hell hath enlarged itself, and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp, and he that rejoices shall descend into it. Do you understand that people are dying and going to hell every day? The Bible says, therefore, hell hath enlarged itself and openeth her mouth without me. Do you understand? See, it's not just a fairy tale. It's just not something we say around here to try to get you to put money in the offering plate. Hell is a real place, and it's getting bigger every day because so many people are going there. You say, why do people go to hell? Because God's people, when they're not interested in God's word, they're not interested in God's work because they don't understand their purpose. And they have the wrong pursuits and they're just too interested in other things. Do you understand? Now here's what's interesting about the children. This is the children of Israel in the day of Isaiah. God's people in the day of Isaiah had the wrong purpose, had the wrong pursuit, had the wrong... I can't even remember what the third point is. What is it? The wrong perspective. They had the wrong priorities. Okay? That's the children of Israel in the day of Isaiah. That's the context. That's the story. But here's what's interesting. If you compare that to God's people today you will find that it basically describes the same thing. Today, God's people, by and large, have the wrong purpose. Don't realize that the only reason that you were chosen and the Israelites were rejected is because God wanted to get out of you, what he couldn't get out of them, which was fruit. And you have the wrong pursuit. You're trying to get rich, or you're trying to get pleasure, or you're trying to do something. You're not interested in God's word. You're not interested in God's word. You have the wrong perspective. You don't see things like we see things. You say, but why do you get so excited about people dying and going to oh, hell? I just don't see it because you're looking at things through your own eyes. And you're not seeing it through the eyes of God. And it all comes down to this, the wrong house. Is God number one in your life? That's what it comes up to. You say, man, those children of Israel, they were so bad. I'm so glad that God rejected them and gave it to another nation. But here's what you got to understand. God expects the same thing from you and He expects it from them. But here's the point. When He couldn't get it from them, he I have no use for you. And when you can't get it from us, he's just going to say, I don't really have any use for it. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven and have God say to me, yeah, I'm glad you're here, but there's nothing that I could really use you for. I'd like to be used to God. I hope you do too. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the book of Isaiah. I know that it's sometimes difficult to read the passage. I mean, I have to read the passage 50 times just to be able to begin to understand it. But Lord, I pray that you would use it in our hearts. Lord, help us to have the right purpose, the right pursuits, the right perspective. Help us to have the right priorities in our life. Help us to realize there are people dying i hell every day. Help us to have a love for your word, to get involved in your work, To not pursue property to love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.